Good evening, everybody. So I would like to offer a few reflections um, tonight. First, I would really love to know how you're doing, actually. Let's see if I can find a way of assessing that uh, without having you fill out a questionnaire. End of day one. <laughs> Are you going to stay for day two? <laughs> Sometimes it can seem dubious at times, kind of. Here's a little hint if you're new. <clears throat> that if there's any time you notice your mind counting how many days are left, I don't know if anyone's done that yet, or anyone who hasn't done that yet, um, if you ever find your mind doing that, it's like a flag. You can catch it if you're going, ah, oh, so Sunday, Monday, ever, ever done that, and you're sitting or at lunchtime. It's a flag for actually, can I find out what's actually happening right here and now? that may be hard to bear, that I haven't quite got yet. I haven't quite realized that there's something here that's hard to bear. It might be unpleasant body sensation. It might be a feeling in the heart. It might be I'm all tight. It might be I feel lots of doubt or aversion or restlessness. And I haven't quite seen it yet. And before I know it, my mind is looking at the clock, looking at the calendar and counting my life away. So those moments are really good moments to um, stop <laughs> and go, oh, what am I doing? I remember I was on a long retreat, three months retreat, and I didn't see that I was doing this, but every day after lunch I indulged myself to let myself count how many days were left. You know, I had like a tick-off list it's, it felt sort of satisfying on some level until about three weeks later. It's like, what am I doing? It's a kind of a torture. It's a kind of a torture. What's actually here right now that's hard to bear, such that I have to conceive myself in time and move forward? Oh, my heart feels lonely. <laughs> I want somebody to look at me nicely. I just want pudding. <laughs> they never serve pudding. I hate lentils. Whatever it is. You, we, and we get more discerning about that because none of us really want to wait for our life to end. I mean, we might do that sometimes. Or it's other partner waiting for something better to happen. So it's not like we feel hopeless and we're waiting for our deathbed. It can happen sometimes. Could be, oh, something good's going to happen. You know, maybe when we go out and do a ritual, that will that'll be better. Oh, it's better than being with my sore knees. Or oh no, that wasn't that great. Let's. Uh, what about what else we got on the schedule? Dharma talk. That might be good. We're waiting for something better to happen. So anytime you're waiting, whether you're counting or waiting for us to ring the bell. Um, waiting for dinner, waiting for the traffic lights to change to green. Waiting is a really important moment for your waking up. 
I offer that and we'll talk more about it. That wasn't where I was going to begin, actually. I wanted to pick up on Suvacho's gesture of that he made earlier with the hand. You remember he said he could, he could sum up in a nutshell Dharma teachings from this cramped sense to release. Sounds nice, doesn't it? So that's it, really. <laughs> right. We can go home now. We know what to do. So just do it. But it's not as simple as that, is it? All of our practices that we're offering Sensing the midline, breathing out, feeling your buttocks on the earth, walking step by step, mindful of that. All in the service of both steadying the mind and allowing us to start to see and know more deeply. Body as body, thoughts as thoughts, feelings as feelings, tree as a tree. But this clench, this clench gesture that he made, it has its own particular kind of programming that's not so easy to deprogram necessarily. This is not to say that all programming or patterning is wrong. It's not. Sometimes the idea of being programmed or patterned can get a bad press in spiritual circles, as if we shouldn't be programmed or patterned at all. But here we're actually discerning programming that is part of this reactive clench away, a pull away from the totality, from reality, from the fullness, the vastness, the mystery. The program that is a clench, a reaction from that, from patterning and program that is actually quite useful. Like I'm programmed to speak English. That's a programming. I don't have to find it out every morning. I don't have to learn it again. It's a program that's quite useful. It's not who I am. Patterns in nature. I don't know a whole lot about this kind of art and science, but I know a little bit. And nature, the nature of things is full of extraordinary patterns. You know, we see it in the numbers of petals on flowers. If you understand anything, I'm sure you could explain much better than me the Fibonacci sequence of these numbers, of the ratio between different things, of the parts to the whole, that makes things look beautiful, that's understood mathematically that architects, sacred architects, have picked up these patterns because they are harmonious and beautiful to us and their patterns so here we're interested in in dharma teachings to understand release from the programming and patterning that is not serving us that is a reactive clench away from re the totality to a deeper dharma that could also be understood as understanding the deeper patterning the deeper patterning that we rest in, that we are part of, that we are expressions of. 
where we can rest back in our nature, both our physical nature and whatever else we like to conceive of ourselves as. This is a dot, 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 more, more later. So in Dharma teachings, there's a useful formulation I find very helpful to consider three aspects of our patterning and programming. One is the body, the kaya, the form, the kaya sankara, the way our body gets patterned. And we see that, right? And um, Stuvacho gave that lovely example when he sat sideways today. Did you see the first one? I said it was hard to see because of his blue jacket. It was a, a little bit, I said he needs a different costume. Right? The first one where he was in the, uh, the, the pattern of right, the striving, the I'm going to do it, I'm going to get there. And the body kind of leans forward, pulls up out of the hips. Right, I'm going to go for it. It's a kind of programming, and the body starts to show that. It starts to show that maybe in the way the shoulders are, the way the arms are. I certainly know this very well for myself, coming to meditation, get, getting on my cushion. I still see the flavor of that pattern of, okay, right, roll the sleeves up, I'm in now, right? Getting in there. <coughs> the body starts to show it. But it's not just the kaya, it's not just the body, it's the chitta, the chitta sankara. The chitta is this, understood as this resonating, the capacity of this receptive, sensitive, resonant creature that we are. That sensitivity also gets programmed. This um, interface, we could say, of where I receive the world, it impacts me, and if there's a sharp impact, <gasps> the body tenses, the resonance can kind of contract. And the third part, the vajisankara, the thinking, the articulating, what kinds of thoughts are programmed when a sharp impact comes in? Let's say we had a really low-flying, loud fighter jet flies over Guy House right now. <laughs> right? Some of us might notice that in the body. There'll be a kind of tensing. Or maybe you get it when you hear a police siren go past you on the motorway. Does anyone ever have any reactions in their body when that happens, or is it just me? <laughs> right? Right, some sort of survival anxiety gets kicked off. The body starts to show up. I might get hot. I might get sweaty. The heart, mind, I might start to feel fear. The chitta is colored by fear. And the thoughts, was I speeding? You know, what, what did I do wrong? Maybe they know about that thing I didn't pay up on that day. And the mind starts proliferating, right? It's a three-ringed three circus, we could say, of the body the chitta, the heart-mind, and the cognitive, the thinking, the thoughts. 
And as we settle in practice, as we relax, as we allow ourselves to breathe out, the mind can start to steady. The thinking can start to slowly start to slow down. The body can spread out a little bit. Did any of you notice that today? Maybe in the guidance at three o'clock where Suvacho took us down the midline, right? The, through the skull, the back of the throat, the heart, the solar plexus, and this marvelous way he dared to say to our asshole. I did reflect with him afterwards that maybe he could get away with that because he was not a first language English speaker. Um, but you get the gist. You get the gist. Right, write down. Maybe some of you could sense that starting to soften and widen. And this body can start to spread out. <sighs> body spreads out, mind slows down. Mind slows down. Our capacity to resonate, the chitta, gets deeper, gets stronger. We can feel out each other and ourself a lot more. We might even stand by the tree and be able to resonate with the tree. Resonate with the bunny rabbits and the goldfish and the other beings that walk past in the corridor. And as we do, we see more deeply. One thing we see that's quite very useful, I'll, I'll just say it very briefly tonight, and if you want to pick up on, on it more, you can speak about it in the small groups if you like. One formulation in Dharma teachings is the five hindrances, five snags, five ways the mind get, can easily get hooked in our practice that make when we believe them, when we believe these things and get caught there, it makes it difficult to relax. It makes it difficult to find that midline. We will be inclined either to lean forward and start striving or pull back and give up and collapse. So I named them tonight, um, especially for the beginners, so that when you see these arise, you can see they're not really actually terribly personal they arise for each one of us. It is our capacity to see them which starts to make the difference. So the first hindrance known as aversion. Get me out of here. I don't like it, want it, it's horrible. And we go between scratchy irritation to rage to hate and all the nuances in between. <sighs> the seeing that this is happening is completely different than being caught in it. Naming, oh, this is aversion. Oh, this is impatience. This is irritation. Ah, that which sees the irritation can step back 
We get perspective. We don't have to take it personally. And more importantly, we don't have to be compelled by its dictates. Get me out of here does not have to become then our philosophy and the way we act. We can still get out of here if we need to get out of here, but the way it's compelling. I remember this one guy on retreat and he left. I didn't find out what happened until the year later when he came back and uh, he was in the small group. I knew him actually personally, this guy as well. He was in the small group. He goes, I've got to tell you what happened last year. I'm so sorry. He said, I, I, I left on like day two or something. He said, <coughs> he said, something happened in the meditation hall. One of you said something, right? Because we say things and sometimes people get irritated. We said something. So one of you said something. And he goes, and the next thing I remember, I was halfway down the A38 to Plymouth. He goes, between that moment when I left and that moment somewhere, you know, 25 miles down the road, he goes, I don't know what happened there. There was not one moment of mindfulness. He goes, only then. He goes, I'm so sorry. He said, that's not freedom. He goes, I'm, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, I'm back to find out I don't want to live my life in such a way that those things compel me anymore. I know where it goes. You know, Plymouth isn't so bad. It goes to Plymouth. It's not that bad. But we know where that else that can go in our life, right? Second one, desire or greed. More greed. I, wanting something that's not here. Hungry, thirsty mind. I'm not, I actually don't want to say a whole lot tonight, but if we can see the mind doing that, like I said with the waiting, when we see ourselves waiting, know it's waiting. Something's happening right now that's hard to bear. When it's greed, when we see, oh, oh, ice cream, pudding, fantasizing about whatever it is. Okay. Okay, what's actually happening right now? Sleepiness. Sleeping, especially the first day or so of a retreat, can show up. That programming, for most of us, when we get still, the nearest thing most of us know until we practice or if there's something else in your life that would have trained you there, stillness is close to sleepiness. So you may find yourself nodding off. And we can respond, stand up. Open the eyes, raise the hands above the head. Remember your deepest intention for being here. Because also probably most of us don't want to sleep through the rest of our life. We don't have to be down on ourselves or judge ourselves for it. Not at all. It will happen. As one of my teachers said, he said, I've had some of the best naps of my life sitting up here at the front. <laughs> We don't have to be down on ourselves, but we can, in the moment that we see it, we can respond. Restlessness. There is no rest. Restlessness. Restlessness. The ants, ants in your pants. You can feel it in the body. 
can almost feel it even as I act act it right now. Like my forearms become sort of wired and I become agitated in the chest when I feel it. And the mind is sort of flickering, right? What's, what's next? What can I do next? What can I have? What can I, what can I do? Who am I going to see? What should, who should I call? Get my mobile phone out. Anyone sent me a message? Restlessness. One of my teachers points to this one. He said, this is almost like the underlying current that keeps kick-starting samsara, keeps kick-starting the way we keep finding ourselves in the same patterns again and again. This restless agitation in the human heart. We can see it. We can soothe it with our out-breath. We can invite it as we establish the midline and we breathe out and offer it some rest. Offer this soul, this restless soul, because it's not who you are or what you are. It's a pattern. It's a program. Offer this soul some rest. Let her rest her weary head in the lap, in your lap, at the lap of the Buddha. I don't know, is that painting still out there with the guy with the boat in his chest? Is it still there? There used to be a painting on the washing up area of a guy with a blue jumper. Actually, he has no head, but he's a torso, a blue jumper. And there's a picture in his chest of a boat, like a little rowing boat. And in that rowing boat, there's another little being whose arm is kind of out of the rowing boat, who's come to rest in his heart. And in a way, I think all of us seek rest. We might call it peace. We might call it the end of suffering. We might call it many things, but that urge to rest, I think, is deep. And particularly in our kinds of culture, where the keeping going, keeping on moving, is also kind of highly valued, but gets us into a lot of trouble, individually and collectively, I would say. (coughs) And the fifth hindrance of doubt. (laughs) When I even say the word doubt, my heart goes, oh, doubt. Usually when the other hindrances are knocking about and we haven't seen them, so we're a bit aversive and we're a bit restless and we're a bit sleepy and we go, oh God, I can't do this. I doubt this is any good for me. I doubt Suvacho and Catherine have a clue what's going on. I doubt the Buddha. I doubt there's anything called awakening. I doubt. I certainly doubt it's possible for me. We kind of collapse. It's not a skillful doubt, the kind of doubt that questions and looks deeply and... It's not that kind of doubt. It's an undermining kind of doubt. So more on those as we see them and we work with them and we learn where to meet them. But the first thing we do is we see them. We are a creature that can see not just visually see, but see through understanding. 
we can see, we can get perspective on what we see. So we can see aversion arise and we go, oh, this is aversion. We get perspective, we get distance. That which sees the aversion is less compelled, is less bound, is less merged. We have more options. Seeing is a beautiful capacity and it's highly valued in meditative circles. And it's highly valued and highly privileged in our culture as well. Seeing, the capacity to get perspective, is also the capacity to get distance. This is necessary for certain emotions initially when we're working with them. Really, really helpful to be able to see fear as fear, right? To get some room, to get some distance, to get some perspective, to be able to come out from the resonance of it and put our feet on the ground, touch the tree, open our eyes, come to the out-breath, to know we could say that which is beyond or bigger than the fear. Seeing gives us perspective and therefore gives us less entanglement with what it is that we see. But seeing on its own is not the only way of knowing. And when the Buddha talked about knowing body as body, he was not just speaking about seeing. Seeing is not the best way of knowing the body as body. Not only is it not the best way, it can be disastrous. If we try just to see our body without any capacity to listen or pulsate or resonate or touch or taste or smell or feel or embrace, then we come into relationship without those where we see and we get more distance, we hover above our body and we get further and further removed and we look down on it, so to speak, as an object to be used, as an object to be overworked, as an object that we're supposed to try and fix to get the right body. We can come into a relationship of objectification that can be cruel And that can be disastrous for our heart and our collective heart of this world. But some of us, many of us, have risen out of our body. Sometimes the knocks and the bumps that we've experienced through the body have been too much to bear. And we've come up drawn up, pulled, almost like sucked our energy off from the earth, higher and higher into our heads, and sometimes that didn't feel safe enough. And we left. We dissociate. We get, we we want so much safety, or we've needed so much safety and perspective that we've gone out. Some of you will know this. Some of you will know this. In fact, there's a it's not actually that uncommon 
There's a, apparently from the James, one of the James Joyce books, he describes one of his characters, Mr. Duffy, and he says, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. Because it's not always an easy prospect, I think, to re-enter, to come in, to be the human animal that we are, to feel our padded feet padding step by step on the earth, to heal the ways, the patternings of the how come we've risen up and beyond. One of my teachers says, he says, first thing to go, <clears throat> he says, when we get a little bit scared or freaked out or, or we just, something is unknown, he said, first thing to go is legs and the belly. He goes, that's the first thing to go. You lose those first. He goes, and then if you're more scared, you lose your heart, you lose your capacity to resonate, and you come up to the head. He goes, then lots of us are kind of hanging out up here, meeting the world through the frontal cortex or just through the seeing. And if that didn't feel safe enough, we go up. So a lot of compassion for many of us in this journey of descent. <laughs> Some of you may not recognize this. You may feel right there with your feet. Your legs move and that's where you are. Your pelvis moves and you're right there. You're not abstracted. You're sensing. The sense for the body rather than the seeing is the touching. The feeling out the embracing, the lingering longer with a place in your body that you haven't hung out with before. So when Suva Cho invites us to today, he invited me, I'd never had that instruction to hang out at the back of my, what was it, was it the palate, wasn't it? What was it, the palate? I was like, oh, how do I, how do I know palate as palate? I've got the concept, I can see it, I could have a, an anatomical image of it, that's one option, and seeing body in that way has gotten us very far medically, you know. I probably wouldn't be alive without those benefits, but there's more. There's more, there's more, there's more. Hanging out with palette as palette, how do I do that? How do I feel into that? Touch that, let it touch me, taste it, know it through a different kind of knowing. With the body, we have to wait usually a little longer than we do with the thoughts. Thoughts are quite clear often, aren't they? They declare themselves. They say, I don't like this, or I want one of these. They are self-declarative, they are angular. They are clear. The body's listening to the body is a different channel. We have to linger. We almost have to listen in the dark at times. Pause, wait, respectful. How do I listen here? And as the body's language reveals itself, it may not initially be as sharp and angular as thought. It comes in sensation that at first might be diffuse. 
it might not be clear, it might be palpating, it might be numb, it might be hard, it might be soft, it might be sharp, it might be absent for a bit. Am I willing to train this channel deeper as a way of knowing to complement this beauty of seeing and looking and getting perspective? A compliment not just for our own benefit, but for our collective benefit. To come into relationship with body means to come in relationship with all materiality, our earth, our animals, the trees, the plants, my arms, your legs, our skulls, our bones. Coming into relationship with those together in a way that restores them through our knowing to the sacred, restores our body to the holy, restores our foot touching the earth as a sacred listening right there and then. Meaningful, rich, profound and altering of our relationship. So let's um, practice this sacred art of coupling the clear seeing, which we also practice. It's not like we have that down, right? This will be being developed all the way through the retreat as well. But it's usually more accessible for most of us, where we couple this clear seeing with this intimate sensing, this intimate listening into body as body to let her reveal her secrets, to let her speak to us in a way that perhaps we haven't yet been ready to hear, to let this body come into full healing of relationship. And we do this together Because whatever has been our history with body, we all share the fact that sometimes our ambivalence about body is the fact that it, there's just one thing that's sure about it, which we're asked to reflect on in Dharma teachings, which is that you and me, we can be sure, dear brothers and sisters, that one day this body will no longer be animated and speaking and breathing and feeling. Each one of us here, our materiality will be returned to the earth. We can actually return it to the earth right now as we practice, but for sure when we're dead, for sure if we haven't done it already, for sure this will be returned to the elements 
this isn't personal, this isn't something wrong. It's something if we can acknowledge together in a sacred space, this reflection can take us home. We have the skeleton in the walking room as a reminder. One of the things he does is as a reminder of this. There's actually many ways you can sit with him if you wish. He has many wonderful teachings when our capacity of knowing settles and we can listen and tune in to this mysterious universe in ways that we haven't, perhaps. So if you're inclined, go hang out with him at some times. There's a cushion in front of him. I have had many intimate moments, really, when I'm on retreat with this skeleton who was once, he was a man, he was once a someone just like you who possibly on the day he died did not know it was going to be the day he died. But right here, if we breathe out with this fact, And if we can widen around, if there's any fear or ambivalence or, oh, we can do that together. One teacher, I've never met him, but apparently he begins every Dharma talk, he's a monk. He says, dear brothers and sisters, in birth, aging, sickness and death. With a big smile on his face. I'll meet you here. He doesn't say that part, that's my part. I'll meet you here. And then something beautiful can happen. Because it's only here as I return, as I descend from my fear and abstraction. It's only here that I get to meet you. It's only here that I get to love you. It's only here that you get to impress your unique marvelousness on me. And here's the only place I can know you. Here's the only place we can have each other. Here's the only place we can have our life. And that's where I want to meet you. So I'd like to finish um, and invite you to sing with me to a melody set to a, a verse from the Diamond Sutta. And you'll get the melody. The words are, you... You should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew, a bubble on a stream, 
Lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. We will clarify what is meant by dream and phantom later. It does not mean it is not here. You should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew. So there's a watery one to start with, I'm going to help you remember it. Drop of dew, a bubble on a stream, it's another watery one. Lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom in a dream. And I'll do this for the melody and you can get it and when we've got it, let's sing it and feel free to embellish the tune. It's one of those if you like. <clears throat> Oh, you should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream Lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream So I'll do it with my hand, you can do it. No, you should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream A lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream no, you should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream A lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream no, you should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream A lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream no, you should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream A lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream Oh, you should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream A lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream no, you should see this fleeting world <coughs> A drop of dew A bubble on a stream 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.